Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning. I'm just going to tell you right up front, um, I am pretty annoying to listen to this morning. I have had the head cold from Hades all week. I went, I, I, I tested for COVID, so no, no worries there. But um, man, I cannot get this cleared up in here, and uh, it is affecting my voice. And so, you guys just be patient with me today, all right? <laughs> I, I think I even sound like a different person right now, don't I? I do. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm not going to go very long today because of that a little bit, but um, it's um, it's just great to see you today. I know the conditions are uh, pretty poor, but it's great to see you. And you know, I just g- I'll give you a little insight into a pastor's heart, um, especially when you turn the page on a new year. You're always, um, at least I am, always praying about what does God want me to share? Um, it's just not like you you open up the the Bible and put your finger in and say, hey, we're going to start right there. Um, I'm praying about that, reading, always looking to find the mind of the Lord. And, um, uh, you know, we always, we always seem to for a month or so um, try to revisit core principles, to reset on those things, right? To um, just give us a sense. A lot of times we'll preach on identity um, or just some, uh, we preached to the 23rd Psalm uh, last year, I think. Just a way to kind of anchor ourselves again. And um, look, I, I'm very aware that you and I are walking into a new year with craziness everywhere. No doubt this year will present new challenges. Um, we have encountered challenges over the last couple of years we didn't even really understand existed until we faced them. I, I have no doubt that <clears throat> through this year, the challenges of what to believe, who we are, what we need to prioritize in our lives, what we need to get ready for will be things that, that you will face and I will face. And I felt clearly drawn to teach through what we're going to start today. Because I think it matters more now than ever before. At least in my ministry. But listen, our culture is increasingly secular. You and I live with the pressures of all of these competing messages in our world. That because of the way we can communicate with each other more, and we've all been given a greater voice because of social media, um, it's deafening. It's deafening the amount of noise that you and I encounter every day um, in our world and in our hearts and in our minds. The pressures of the movements that we live in, of tolerance, of political correctness, of even political tribalism. 
We live in a, in a world of relative moralism that has invaded every community. In fact, we're now at a point where it's common for me to get on my social media and have buddies I went to college with who I remember being in class with and we were centered around um, learning the core truths of Scripture. We had this same heart and same mind. We shared in this commonness of the faith. And now to, to watch them argue with one another over things that we didn't argue about. That we, it, that's the world we live in, is it not? Um, Christians are, in themselves are trying to figure out and disagreeing about what to believe. What should we be for? What should we be against? It's everything. I mean, man, this is the world we live in. And I just feel drawn to sit in this passage of Scripture, these three chapters, as we start our year. And I know that when the Lord starts to speak to me about that, that He's wanting to speak to all of us about this. Uh, you remember the first time you've ever seen the ocean? Uh, anybody? Remember the first time? I remember coming down that road and turning and all of a sudden it was right in front of me and I, I, I couldn't believe it. Remember the first time you ever saw the Rockies? Anybody ever see the Rockies? Oh my goodness, there's nothing better than the Rocky Mountains. Some of you might not, you know, like think that, but um, New York City. Anybody ever been to New York City? Like, and that first time being there and then walking into Times Square and just being absolutely overwhelmed by the magnitude of it, right? And your little context before seeing these things was, hey, this, this was big, or this was grand, or this, you know, you know it, it, it was blown away. I, I love to see my boys, I've loved to see my boys walk into a Major League Baseball stadium for the first time. I, I just love to, to watch them, because, you know, we've been to... Little league games, we've been to minor league games, but there's nothing like walking out into a Major League Baseball stadium and looking around at 40,000 seats, like the sheer magnitude of it, and the look on their eyes is they're just like, they're like, you know, you know, your perspective changes. You begin to evaluate everything you see now through the lens of what you have seen. Once you've seen the Rockies, hey, Hocking Hills is a great place to relax. But have you ever seen the Rockies? You know what I mean? Like it just changes, it blows your perspective away. It becomes the lens through which you understand grandeur and largeness. And, and I think... What I want us to spend time in is the complete perspective changer. I, I do want to share something with you. I, I, I have this desire when we walk through series like this to give you resources. And so today I, I want to share with you just this resource um, that I would, I would um, invite you to uh, pick up. I looked at uh, christianbook.com today. It was $10.99 for the paperback. Um, by the hardback on Amazon. 
But all through this series, I'm going to throw out resources, books, other resources that you can go to to uh, continue to expand and enlarge your mind. And also just to tell you, like, this book right here is a guiding voice for me as we walk through this series. And so um, I, I want to do that. I want us to be people who were like the Bereans uh, in the New Testament, who uh, sincerely evaluate the Word um, and contemplate it and apply it to our lives and become people that are just biblical Christians. I mean, everything is filtered through the Word, and that's how we live our lives, and we're transformed and changed. But um, listen, this simple, straightforward, yet endlessly captivating passage, the Sermon on the Mount, is a startling invitation to see and inhabit an alternative world where the new creation has already come in Jesus himself. If you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm sure some of you could quote a lot more than you think you could, instead of laying down stringent laws and advising readers to pull themselves up and to do better and to, to, uh, to take these these. <clears throat> sayings of Jesus and make them your own and and try harder, this sermon actually offers verbal icons through which we may see into God's will and be empowered for the life he truly has designed for us to live. The Sermon on the Mount becomes the transforming vision by which I can only begin to see everything else in the world. I just, I just threw out there some pretty weighty words. Like, I sound like a, you know, like a used car salesman with a guarantee, right? Uh, we don't have any used car salesmen, do we? Um, but I am telling you that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the complete game changer. And in a world where you and I are trying to figure out what the heck should I believe What should I focus on? What am I going to do if this happens? How do I live? How do I deal with my friends and my family who are now saying, man, this is not right, or you can't believe this? What what do I need to stay anchored to? And I am telling you, it's the Sermon on the Mount that should become the core of of how we see, the lens through how we see everything in our lives and in this world. It was no different in Jesus' day. Um, you had competing voices. Pharisees were saying, hey, we need to go back. Um, they were traditionalists. We need to go back. We need to stop. stop. Uh, we just need to go back. You had Sadducees, the, the liberal uh, religious people of that day who, who were saying, hey, we need to go ahead. We need to change things. Like we need to, well, you had... Uh, this group called the Essenes who just thought the best thing to do in this world was just to avoid it all. To go out into uh, uh, monasteries and avoid the world. And, and so they were like, we're going to go out. You had the zealots who um, were attempting to uh, overthrow governments. And, and so they were going against. It's no different, honestly, as I've thought about this this week. Like, we have all these voices going on right now. Fight. Avoid, 
We need to go back. We need to like, no, we need to throw everything away. We need to like, it's still the same things going on in our world every generation all the time. There, there are Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots in the church everywhere. And in the middle of that and all those voices, those people that day heard Jesus stand, or stand up and start to speak these words. It, it, it rang true and this was Jesus' answer. This is God's answer to a world trying to figure out what in the world and how am I supposed to live. And so I can't think of anything better to start the year with than the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know how Jesus thinks? It's here. You want to know what his heart really beats? It's here. You want to know what he really feels about living and the standards for life? It's here. I realize that the verbal icons in this sermon have been co-opted into many cultures. And they've been twisted a little bit. They've been used uh, for other means. Um, They become standards that were really thought of things that we should strive for, but have been flooded with a resignation that we can never attain. And that is not how Jesus presented these things. It wasn't like, hey, this is the standard you should try to do. You're never going to do it, but this is at least what you should strive for. Jesus preached these as if this is now who you are going to become. Right? And I've heard over and over, like, people use these standards of like, this is how we should try to act. But then also at the same time, people kind of rolled their eyes and were like, yeah, right. Like, I can't ever do that. Love my enemies? Are you kidding me? That's what I should try to do. But I really am not going to do that. And God was just, okay. But like, no, Jesus was actually saying, hey, I'm ushering in a whole new kingdom. And this is the, this is the constitution of the kingdom, is the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to I want to just I want to start this series by by asking this question. I know in this present climate we live in, a lot of us are trying to double down on what where we stand. We want to be certain of what we believe. And so in trying to be certain and not be swept away here and there, oftentimes we get a little bit bullheaded about what we believe, about how things should be. Because we're, 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 we don't want to shift. We don't want to change. We don't want to succumb to the, to the, 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 the secularism of our, of our culture. And so we, we double down a little bit. We, get a little bit. we get a little bit stubborn. And yet, I promise you, that as we walk through this sermon... you are going to face the reality in your own heart and life. I am not so sure that I have believed that or I've practiced that. I'm, if you're human, as we walk through these things, I guarantee you there's going to be sayings that Jesus gave in this sermon that you're going to be like, huh? Yeah, I mean, that sounds good, but... And so, I just want to start this series off by asking you this simple question. Are you willing to change your thinking and perspective? Because I promise you the truth of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 
Well, this is a challenge to the world that you and I live in. It's a challenge to our own natural tendencies. But Jesus clearly states, and we're going to jump in just here in a minute to one word, that this is the only way to live blessed. The only way to live blessed is to embrace the teachings that he gives on the Sermon on the Mount and to give ourselves over to him now uh, creating these things in our lives. And I want to tell you the competing voices in our world, some of them have uh, a Christian flavor to them. Uh, often will compete with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I, I don't, I don't want to be too, but I would, I'm almost certain that all of us have things that our environment has taught us to believe that some of those things are in direct conflict with what Jesus talks about on the Sermon on the Mount. And my prayer is as we walk through these chapters that you and I have a heart that is open and receptive. A willingness. I know, I know we're trying hard to stand in a world that's like this. But there's also a sense where sometimes what we have believed, what we have been taught, what we have been led to think is right by all number of factors Oftentimes, or at times in my own heart, I've realized that's not even right. That's not truth. That's, that's not Scripture. That's some kind of false premise about Scripture. And I promise you, more so than any other place in Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount will challenge, will challenge us, our natural tendencies, and it will challenge everything about the world that's around us. And so I'm simply asking you, are you willing to adjust your thinking and perspective as God speaks to you through what he shared in the Sermon on the Mount? Are you willing already right now to begin to adopt a mindset that, oh, I'm not sure what you mean by turn the other cheek. And it goes against everything that I want to do and I've been taught to do. But Father, as your word speaks to me, I'm willing to change my perspective. Right? That's what I'm hoping happens here because unfortunately, our culture has bled through into our theology. And oftentimes we have a mishmash of theology and culture that robs us of living the very blessed life that Jesus has promised for us. And so I find in any, this more than so of any part of scripture challenges me most to have a willingness to change my thinking and my perspective. To live by Jesus' words, not by my natural tendencies or the world around me and its thinking and perspectives. I also would like to mention this as we begin this series. The Sermon on the Mount, very clearly, as you read it and understand it, this phrase should become something that you begin to believe. You will not be able to do this 
on your own. You won't. Like, if there was laws in the Old Testament, if there was do's and don'ts, and if there was a standard of living, there is no greater standard of living than the Sermon on the Mount. It's the highest peak. It is the epitome of what God desires for his children, for his world to live in. But I will promise you, it is not something that you have enough moral courage or self-discipline to pull off. Okay? And so if, if you're one of those people, it's like, just tell me what to do and I'm going to try to do it. Like, this is going to be really hard for you. Because guess what? You are not going to be able to follow Jesus' teaching on your own. It's like the Sermon on the Mount was written as a way to drive us to the reality that we need the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in our life. Because what Jesus teaches us and how to live becomes, quickly becomes for us a reality that like I cannot do that on my own. I can't do it. The only way I'm going to be able to follow Jesus in this way is to have Jesus Christ himself in my heart and in my life. You will not be able to do this on your own. And if you're one of those uh, self-improvement people always looking to get better, and uh, this is going to stretch you because I'm telling you, this is just, you can't do it. You will not be able to do it unless... God himself is in your heart and life. So, are you willing to adjust your perspective and thinking? And you won't be able to do this on your own. But I just want to jump into one word, the first word of this sermon. (laughs) We're just going to do one word a week. It's going to be 20 years at this pace, right? I'm just kidding. It's the first word that sets the foundation for the whole sermon. For the whole Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus started. How Matthew 5 starts. Now when Jesus saw the crowds. He went on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. And he said. Blessed. 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 Blessed carries with it this idea of of happiness. It comes from a root word. Makar, from Makarios, that means to be happy. Jesus is saying, listen, the life that is fulfilled, that is happy, that is content, this is the life I'm about ready to share with you. It's the desire of God for his children to be blessed. Blessed. It's what we've always wanted, right? We want to be blessed in all that we do and all that we say and all that we have. Blessed. And that's how this sermon starts, blessed. But this idea of blessing, this happiness, real happiness, we begin to realize that it, it carries with it a connotation that it's not, in, on, it's not conditioned upon a circumstance. This word also has it a, 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 a part of it that it's a word that indicates character. Um, it's, it's, 
it's used of God himself. Blessed be God. Blessed be the Lord God. Blessed art thou, O Lord, the blessed God. In other words, the state is, this is true of God, and because it's true of God, this becomes a character word also. This word blessed. It's often misunderstood. I mean, honestly, think about the times that you talk about being blessed. Often, what is it going to entail? You're going to talk about being blessed um, with family, right? You're going to talk about being blessed with uh, material possessions, right? I, I hear people talk all the time about, I'm so blessed I have this or that financially. I, I'm so blessed I am healthy, right? And that's how we use the word blessing most of the time, is it not? Um, and it's easy to understand people who would say, well, Chip, why is that wrong? Like, look at the Old Testament. Look at how uh, God blessed his children, Israel, and all that, and they prayed for blessing, and he would bless them, and he would give them finances, and he would protect them, and he would give them health, and all of these things. Why is that wrong? And I, I would want to remind you that primarily God's purpose in the Old Testament with his people of Israel was for the world to come and see who God was. God used blessing his children financially and and in all the other ways that he did as a primary tool to boast or to draw attention to himself to the rest of the world at who he was. Watch. He's like, watch. I'm going to bless you so the rest of the world is like, what is that about? How does that happen? They work six days and rest a seventh. They give their land time off. They, what is going on? Most of the time, God was blessing them financially and, and materially and all those things as a primary purpose to draw attention to what he was wanting to do in the world. That makes sense because in the New Testament, the, flip, the script is flipped. There is no, God is going to bless you by making you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You do realize that, right? I mean, this Old Testament, blessing comes through a lot of healthy, wealthy, and wise stuff. You turn to the New Testament, and all of a sudden, there is no promise of being healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so understanding what it means to be blessed is this first way that you and I maybe need to adjust our thinking and perspective about what is true. Yeah, I wish I felt better. I'm sorry. The promises of material blessing in the Old Testament are for the often for the primary purpose of God showing off so the rest of the world would be attracted to him. The New Testament moves our understanding to a much deeper core realization of what blessing is. It's the beauty of this sermon, specifically the Beatitudes, is that they help us move past the idea that blessings are about happiness, wealth, 
fame, and power. I mean, think about it. If we think God's blessing is mainly of things in the material realm, then we pursue these things. We spend our time praying, asking God for them. And when we don't get them, we often wonder whether we are blessed by God or not. I mean, listen, the guy had it. This just made my point last night, right? The guy had an unbelievable game. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. That's a cool name, right? Like, right, you Ohio State fans, 300-something yards, unbelievable game last night. So they put the microphone in front of him because he gained all these yards and scored these touchdowns and helped Ohio State win. And what's the first thing he says? I'm blessed. Why are you blessed, Jackson? Because I did all these things. Right? That's what he was saying. That's what you hear all the time. I'm blessed. But blessing is tied to what we have, our health, our wealth, our whatever, family, our relationships, right? And yet in the New Testament, and Jesus is going to start, because I promise you when we start to walk through the Beatitudes, there's no healthy, wealthy, and wise in the Beatitudes. It's not. This is going to adjust our thinking and perspective about what it means to truly be blessed. Blessing in God's kingdom is primarily spiritual. I'm not going to sit here and try to parse through, am I blessed if God has given me material possessions and wealth and good relationships? And There is a sense where that is a blessing. Is it not? I'm not trying to stand up here and say that's not a blessing. But it's kind of like when we talk about the word love. Like God is love and I love tacos. We're using the same word, but we understand that there's a vast difference between God being love and my love for tacos, right? And so understanding blessing, although we can use blessing in the sense of of what God has given us, it is a very inferior understanding of what really the heart of blessing is about. That's what I I just want to finish in this way. I just want to read for you what the scriptures begin to tell us blessing is about. Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, okay, here's blessing, in the heavenly realms with every what blessing? Spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in whom we now have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
and him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in our hope in Christ may be for, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You see, blessing, and we're going to break this down as we walk through blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. Bless, blessings are always primarily spiritual. You and I need to pursue the spiritual blessings of God above everything else. It's, in fact, it's what Jesus is going to say on this, on the, in this sermon, that if you and I will seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all the other things in our life take their proper place and form. I, th- I think this is why so often we struggle with the goodness of God where we struggle with doubting God, is because we have thought about God in the realm of how does he bless me? Is he taking care of my my needs? Am I healthy? Am I wealthy? Am I all this? And God has never promised those things to us. In fact, Jesus says, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Right? Right? And yet, if we can begin to realize that blessing, it, it's in the realm of us having been redeemed, forgiven, having been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, all those things, we begin to live every day understanding truly that we are a people that are blessed. And that blessing at its core spiritual and that's why the New Testament doesn't even bother to talk about health and wealth possessions and all those things in fact I would just simply say this statement to be blessed is to live in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Do you want to be happy, fulfilled? Do you want to find purpose and meaning? Because that's what blessed is, all of those things. It starts with pursuing Jesus Christ. Everything else will flow out of that. In fact, do you think God thinks it's a blessing that if he were to give you finances and it leads you astray from him, do you think he thinks that's a blessing? Do you think he sees that as a blessing? If he gives you, the, if he gives you things in your life that you consider blessings, but it makes your affection for him grow cold, is that a blessing? Because blessing is always spiritual in nature, primarily. Blessed. And that's the way this sermon's going to begin. That's the way this series is going to begin. I think it's going to challenge you and I 
but in the midst of a shifting world where things are upside down, what do we anchor to? How do we live? What are we willing to say, this is where I'm going to plant my flag, die on this hill, be this person, believe this above everything else? I'm telling you, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom constitution, so to speak. Honestly, I would tell you, this is the only place that you and I will ever live blessed, is when we embrace these teachings and allow Christ to move us in the ability to live out these teachings. And I would say also that this is the hope of the world. The only hope of the world is when the world sees you and I living out the Sermon on the Mount. They see Jesus. It's the greatest tool of evangelism in the world is to live out Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Lord, just rest in your hands today. What we tried to share, I realize I'm, I'm just kind of blah today. But Lord, I know that what you laid on my heart, um, I've tried to communicate that. And Lord, I pray that we would anchor ourselves to these truths that we're going to walk through. That we would be willing to adjust our thinking and perspective always. Even when it's going to go against our natural tendencies and even when it's going to go against everything that the, uh, the world we live in teaches. Lord, help us to understand that you never called us to live out this life on our own. But it's you indwelling and filling us is going to accomplish this. In fact, it's as we follow you in these teachings that we are driven to rely on your grace and live in your love and in your power. And Lord, help us to already begin to define blessing as primarily spiritual. That our lives will be happy and I know we use that word happy and it's so, but that's the meaning of this word, fulfilled, blessed, purpose-filled. You're right where you need to be, living in the center of who you were supposed to be. That's this word, blessed. It only comes when we seek after spiritual things first and foremost. So Lord, speak to us in this series. Change us ever increasingly into your image so that we might live into the purposes and the plan and the joy that you have for our life. And then in doing so, we show a lost and dying world around us just how marvelous the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.